Hello and welcome to another episode of the Jimmy Rex Show. Today on the show, I have a good friend of mine, Mr. Aaron Wagner. He is a former BYU football player, uh, but the last 10, 15 years or so, he has been more well-known in the finance community as he is one of the founding partners and managing partners of White Knight Capital. Uh, they do a lot of investments with banks and debt and everything else in between. Uh, a lot of private equity deals. If you've ever been to Village Baker, you're probably eating at one of their restaurants. And so uh, I just I really appreciated the time I had to sit down with Aaron. Usually when we sit down together, we're going on a trip for the day to go see the, you know, the Jazz play, the Clippers, or we went and watched BYU play Nebraska when my friend Mitch Matthews caught the Hail Mary. Just had a lot of good times with this guy and uh, was lucky enough to sit down with him and really be able to rack his brain a little bit. So I think you're going to enjoy what you have to hear. And today's episode is brought to you by Dr. Nicholas Howland. He is with Premier Plastic Surgery and Dr. Howland is one of my best friends since I was just a little kid. Him and I have been best friends he is one of the most renowned plastic surgeons here in the state of Utah, big supporter for Operation Underground Railroad. He's offering a 10% discount to any of my listeners. Just mention this ad when you go in to get any kind of cosmetic surgery or, or procedure done, and he will take care of you. Again, Dr. Nicholas Howland with Premier Plastic Surgery. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast and today I'm here in the office with a good friend of mine, Aaron Wagner, and he is the partner of White Knight Capital and a serial entrepreneur slash professional athlete. So Aaron, good slash to be here, man. Former professional athlete. Former professional yes. athlete. So once you have that title, I feel like you get to keep it for like a while. It's like a president. Is that, your, is that your favorite title of the titles that you have? Um, it's the one I avoid the most, probably. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably fair enough. Well, Aaron and I, we met quite a while ago. Actually, it's kind of funny because I met you first when you were you just got into real estate after your playing days at BYU. You played linebacker at BYU. And one of the things that, the reason I wanted to have Aaron on this podcast, I think I've been so impressed with, is just watching you evolve over the last seven or eight years. Uh, when we first met, me and you were both hustling for sell-by-owners. We'll get into that a little bit. But you've kind of really, you took on a role after that where you really got into flipping homes, high-end homes, and you were doing things that took a lot of risk at a time when nobody else was willing to take those risks. And I was so impressed. I, I wasn't willing to do any of it at that point. And from there, you've just grown and grown. And we've actually recently made some investments in some tech companies and some things together. And uh, it's been fun to be a part of the journey with you, man. Yeah, it's been, it's been awesome, man. I, I appreciate the friendship. Uh, those are kind words. It sounds, uh, you make it sound a little bit like I was just smarter or like ballsier to take those risks in all actuality, and we can dive into the details of that. It was mostly just stupid, dumb, not knowing. I, like literally, I remember when I got into real estate after playing ball, it was like everybody was jumping out of the game. You know, everybody was, I, I remember literally there was a stat that was purported that year that like over 55% of licensees didn't renew their license. Yeah, we went from like 5,000 to like 2,400 in yeah, Utah. It was crazy, and I was just like, why did everybody like, Things seem good, you know? And honestly, I was just, it was just dumb luck in terms of timing, right? So obviously, like, there's a lot of work and hustle and stuff behind it, but, I mean, I just didn't know better. And, and that's really what it comes down to, is, like, people were like, and I get that credit all the time from people, like, man, you were just, like, going all in in the best time, and everybody was so scared, and they're pulling money, and I'm like, man, I just got lucky. Like, I, I didn't know any better. The only way I do things is all in. 
So I was like, hey, real estate sounds good. I did a little bit of real estate in college and it panned out really well. And so after I was done playing, I felt like this is something I wanted to pursue and it turned out great. Well, and I think there's a principle there though that if, I mean, if you were going to lose it all, you can buy one house and lose everything, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you can buy a $200,000 townhome and go completely broke. Yeah. So why not go for broke? I mean, you leveraged Absolutely. yourself to the max yeah. um, at a time when, again, like I, looking back, uh, yours was the, you know, the obvious way to make more money. You just over leverage it and let it run. Either it's going to all go broke or you're going to really maximize yeah. the return that you're going to get from it. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people always ask like, man, how do you just like, how did you go all in, in terms of, you know, and I think you're referencing the fact that when I started investing in real estate, I wasn't just doing tiny homes. Yeah, tell us a little bit to dive into that. Yeah, so like, you know, after I was done uh, playing ball, um, you know, I did my first real estate investment while I was in college, and I just talked to a bunch of my buddies, um, actually I talked to my, one of my old mission companions, dad, into putting up a down payment for us, and co-signing on a loan, we got a mortgage, and we bought this house near campus at BYU, and um, cool thing is, it was like five or six bedrooms, and BYU is like, one of the only unique places in the country where like males are okay with sharing rooms and paying rent essentially for a bed in a room. I've never even I'm, thought about that. Like it's weird, right? Like cuz <laughs> sure. I, I my first two years are at Washington State and if like I would have tried to get a teammate to share a room with me, they would have been like, "What the hell?" you know? So it's like it's one of these kind of weird things when I got to BYU where people like, you know, "Hey, like let's share a room, like you know, split the rent." And so what happened is over time, landlords were able to essentially charge by the bed. So we bought a five bedroom house for my first deal. And I had a bunch, I was a transfer. And so there was a bunch of other transfers and they needed a place to live. And I was on the football team and I knew my teammates got uh, a, a scholarship check on the first of every month. So I knew they could pay me. And so I got pretty good at being like this little debt collector. And essentially, we bought this five-bedroom home. Our mortgage payment was like 1200 bucks a month. I had five bedrooms. One of our biggest bedrooms, we had two sets of bunk beds, so I was charging guys 300 bucks a bed. So I was wow. like, one bedroom was making like 1200 bucks, just covering my payment, and the rest of it was just gravy, you know? And at the time, like, given my background, you know, and we can dive into that a little bit later if you'd like, but like, you know, growing up on welfare and just kind of not having anything at the time, I was driving a 1984 50cc Raz scooter. Wow. You know? yeah, yeah. And so... All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I'm living for free. I got like a thousand bucks a month coming in, cash flow. And I'm like, this is good. Life is good. Like, real estate's the ticket. Well, my deal with um, my buddy's dad was that I'd keep it rented, I'd manage the property, and after we sold it, we'd split the profits. And so, um, just again, really great timing. Lived in that property for like a year and a half, sold it, we ripped like 120 grand. So I had like, 60,000 bucks, and I was like, hallelujah, this is the best thing ever. And you're how old at this point? Uh, 22 years old. Okay, so yeah, I mean, to that point, yeah. that's, that's a and lot I, of money. You know, and I'm living on a scholarship at the time, like yeah. 460 bucks. And you're months. the richest guy in, on the team, basically. Yeah, I'm like, 460 <laughs> bucks, I'm driving a 50cc Raz scooter, and now I got 60K, I'm like, life is good. And literally, this is like more money than my parents made combined, like the majority of my life. Sure. And I'm doing this like, you know, 18 credit hours, full-time football, and I just ripped this side hustle, you know? And so I was like, this, this is the ticket. So I took that money, bought a couple more condos, carpet paint, again, great timing, sold them, made some more money. And then I, um, and that's when I signed a free agent contract with the Jets and took off and started my professional career that was, was short-lived. But 
I always knew that I could come back to real estate. And as a matter of fact, while I was playing, I was still building a real estate investment business. And I got my real estate license during that time. And so anyway, uh, as it transitioned and I finished up playing um, in 2009 when I retired, um, I started working as a realtor and that's kind of how me and you got to know each other. Yeah, it was kind of fun for me. You know, we would we would show up because there wasn't that many hustlers at the time. No. We literally, there was, was crickets, like, there was like seven of us yeah. that were out there trying to do deals all the time, you know, and we would, I remember all morning I would call for a sale owner, set up the appointments and you were doing the same thing. Yeah. And we would meet a lot at these, it was the same for sell by owners, they'd interview three or four agents and so we kept running into each other at the door and you know, yeah. you'd be on your way out, I'd be on my way in or vice versa. It was or cool, it, was like, it literally like turned into a fist bump like on the way it was. out and it was like, hey, best of luck. You know? Yeah, I, I got to the point where you're like, well, if you don't, have, if you don't hire me, hire Aaron. And, yeah. you know? <laughs> and I would literally even say that in my pitches, yeah. like, hey, there's really only two agents out here, to, you know, so. But yeah, it was fun. And so um, working as a realtor and understanding the market and, and the conditions, you know, things were good um, for us, but it was it was really bad timing, right? And so for me, what I realized was like, hey, I was getting a ton of listings, but I wasn't really selling any houses. Yeah. And so I, but I picked up some buyers and turned some deal, and I was like, ah, commissions are good, this is great. But what I realized really quickly was a couple of the guys that I was picked that I had picked up as buyers were investors, and so they would ask me, they give me a criteria and say, hey, go find this, and because it was a distressed market, there was a lot of foreclosures. And so I'd go find them a deal, I'd put the whole thing together, they'd put up the money, I'd make a six to $12,000 commission or whatever it was, they'd turn around and flip the house six months later, and be, or three months later, or 60 days later, and they'd make the hundred grand. Yeah. And so I was like, whoa, what, what am I doing wrong here? And fortunately for me at the time, um, I had some contacts, um, former players, buddies, you know, they were making more money than they knew what to do with. Um, they are spending on clothes and clubs and whatever. Yeah, they were looking for somebody yeah. to help direct them. With somebody they could trust, sure. you know, and so fortunately I was able to go to some of these guys and say, hey, look, I don't know how to set your expectations, but I know this. If I don't lose your money, I'm the best investment you have because right now you're just blowing it. Yeah, back then. Yeah, <laughs> right. So literally guys were like, man, eh, fair enough, you know. So they gave me a couple bucks. I did a couple deals on my own, split profits with those guys. And I realized this is where it's at. Like, this is awesome because now I'm my own boss. I don't have to work with buyers and sellers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, it, you know, it's a taxing sometimes. Sure. Um, and so... I, I know. <laughs> yeah. You know better than anyone. Yeah. So, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of running my own, my own shop. And I'm the boss. I can make these decisions. And I'm doing the same amount of work, but there's another couple zeros on the end of the paycheck every, every time we do a deal. And so I was like, this is, this is where it's at. And for me, you know, once I catch on to something, I just really go all in and do sometimes to my benefit and sometimes to my detriment. But um, the cool thing was is that when I started learning about the distressed real estate market, there was a lot of competition in the lower end market. And I realized, just like in life, in almost every industry, there's a lot less competition at the top, right? People say you're only at the top. And, yeah. that, and that means a lot of things. But... Um, there was way less competition in the high end because it was a lot riskier and there's a lot less people that that could come up with a million bucks versus 100k out of their HELOC or whatever else, you know, grandpa. Yeah. Or so um, I started pulling together a little bit more cash and started doing some of these bigger deals and um, for me, you know, you reference like, hey, you know, going for broke, well if it's a couple hundred k or a couple million, what's the difference? And honestly at the time, that's really how I felt. It's like, I don't have much to lose. I grew up on welfare. I was happy when I was broke. I've been happy when I'm not broke. 
if I lose it all tomorrow, I wasn't given anything. Sure. You know, I mean, people talk about self-made. I think if I don't really believe anybody's self-made. Like, we get something from everybody. But the fact is, is if it all fell tomorrow, I could do it again. You know, and so that's that was kind of my mentality in, in getting some courage. Well, and I think that's part of, you know, you had that experience early with that real estate deal. You got an education there, whether you knew that or not at the time. And so you kind of, going forward, was quickly able to see, like, wow, I made so much more money by being aggressive and doing these things early on and taking a little bit of risk. Um, so a lot of people come to me and they ask, you know, all the time, like, well, I want to flip homes. I want to, you know, do these different things. I flip now. I've probably flipped about 100 houses in my life as well. And, but what advice would you give to people if they want to get started? They're hearing your story and they're like, that's what I want to do. Like, because I think as people are listening to this right now, they're going to say, that's what I want to do that. What advice would you have for people that are maybe same position as you? They were in college or they're in college right now. They want to flip a home. They want to partner on a deal. Yeah. What would you tell those people? Um, probably a few things. I mean, I think the first thing, the story, we all tell ourselves stories, right? And so the first story that I hear so much from people, they literally, and you, you probably get this all the time, people say, Aaron, man, I love what you do. You know, when I was flipping a lot of homes, like, it's something I've always wanted to do. I just wish I had the money. Like, if I had the money, I'd be doing it. And it's like, dude, you're just telling yourself a bullshit story. Because I didn't have any money. Yeah. I was broke, too. Yeah. You know? And I honestly didn't have the resources. I was, I'm a Canadian citizen. I had credit. You know, but you can make things happen. You know, like, first off, you got to ditch the bullshit stories. Mm. Secondarily to that, it's like, okay, how do I make this happen? And so don't tell yourself those stories. Don't set limitations for yourself. You can figure out a way to do it. The second thing that I would say is that um, there's kind of two routes. I probably took the harder route, looking back in retrospect, mm -hmm. um, which was just dive in. And figure it out. And I've kind of always, I've kind of always like um, cling to this uh, this mantra of like just bite off more than you can chew and figure out how to chew it. Yeah. And and maybe you're responsible. Maybe. I, I have a similar <laughs> story I tell is like if you slowly creep up to a fire, you can get burned. Yeah. If you just run through the fire, you'll get through fine. That's right. awesome. Same kind. Yeah. Of it's, a, it's a great illustration. And really, so you know, you can you can just dive in and figure it out. That's what I did, and you'll get a lot of lumps along the way, but if you come out on top, then all's good that ends well. All's well that ends well. Sure. The second would be go find somebody that's awesome at it and just be mentored. And the most successful people I know have zero scarcity mentality. The most successful people that I know are happy to pay it forward. And so if I was back you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago when I started, if I could give advice and you're young and you want to figure it out, identify who that person is that you'd like, you'd enjoy working with, that's good at it, and go ask to be mentored. Go ask to help them. Go ask to provide them some value, and they'll be happy to pay it forward and help you. And you'll learn a lot quicker with a lot less um, heartache, I think, and pains and struggles. Yeah, I think it's one of my number one networking principles that you know people always ask, like, well, how did you surround yourself with all these amazing people? And it's I always try to just provide a value to them. And I think too many people, they want to get paid right away or they want to make money right away, right? Like my education was me making money, losing all my money, making money, losing money yeah. until I finally got 10 years in and then it was like, okay, now you start actually building some wealth. But it's like, if you can do that without going through the roller coaster, 
You don't need to get paid right away. Go find the right mentor and find a way to service that person. Find a way to be an asset, and they're going to want to have you around. Yeah, I kind of think it's amazing how people are like, man, I'm totally hyped. I'm going to go spend 100 grand in debt to go to school, university, whatever it is, online courses, da da da. But the minute you say, hey, go show up at that guy's office and tell him you'll work your ass off for nothing, and then show up that next day and outwork everybody. Just kick their ass, because I know this for a fact. Any of my friends that are ultra successful, if that happened, somebody showed up at their office and said, have me do anything, you don't have to pay me, I'm just going to prove myself. People would be like, okay, I'll find a way, I'll put this kid to work, and if the kid showed up and kicked ass, there's no way I'm not going to pay that guy. Yeah, it's not going to take long before there's he's no making a yeah, lot of money. Anyway, he's going right? to be making more money. Yeah, so make like yourself you can, you can literally asset. write your own paycheck, mm -hmm. but you'll pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go learn what may or may not be relevant for what your passion is and what you want to do. But you won't put yourself out there and just, you know, go make it happen. So to me, that's, that's one of the major things for a young person that I would say or somebody that wants to make that change and dive in is like, hey, just go create value with somebody and learn. Soak them up. Sponge it. You know, there's a lot of really brilliant and creative people out there. I'm absolutely not one of them. I'm just a great copycat. Like, I've, I've been good at, in my life, identifying people that I think are awesome, amazing, and just sponging as much as I can. Well, and you've done that a lot. I mean, you transitioned, you know, from the real estate, you started kind of a venture capital company, and then you, from there, you currently are working on a couple projects. You've got, yeah. you know, um, Village Baker, you've got Mayberries, which, explain a little bit. How did you go from um, doing the real estate full-time to kind of going, why did you go this other route? What was it that drove you to go into some of these other ventures sure. as well? Sure, so it's kind of cool. Um, interesting story is that um, part of it was out of necessity. Uh, I believe that the market dictated um, what I was doing a little bit because when I got in, I was literally in the, the largest distress market ever. Ever. Yeah. You know, in my lifetime. Yeah. And maybe in the history of ever. Yeah. But the point is, is I got in and I was, when I got things rolling, that machine was cranking and we were doing hundreds of homes, it was, it was simple. It was easy and I was spoiled. And I didn't know any better. That's all I knew. Mm -hmm. And so as the market tightened up or got stronger on the retail side and the stress went away, it really dictated what the opportunity was. And the opportunity now became more value creation rather than purchase value, which is kind of what I was doing. Okay. And so I was doing kind of the easy, lazy way. Um, and nowadays, like developers and people that are making money in real estate outside of like, you know, representing as an as a agent, on the investment side, they really have to create the value. They're having to buy apartment complexes, rebrand, remarket, re-renovate, this, that. There's so many things. Uh, land development, you have to do a ton of work. I mean, most of the real estate opportunities today are a lot harder work than what I was used to. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I went and got my degree in real estate development, and somebody asked me, like, what was the number one thing you learned? And I said that I don't want to do real estate development. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's just it's so hard. much work. It's yeah, tons yeah, of work, yeah. and people don't get that. And so... What happened was, as the distressed market dried up and tightened up, I was forced to reinvent myself and transition. And I always, like people say, you know, people ask questions all the time, and I love to ask this question to people that I'm around that I consider successful or, or admire or respect, is like, hey, what, what do you most attribute to your success? And one of the things that I've always answered is that I just believe that I'm very uh, adaptable. You know, I believe that you know, I'm not a one-trick pony, 
and that I can reinvent myself quickly and just kind of roll with the punches. And, um, and so that's something that I embraced about myself from a very young age. And when that market shift happened, I believed that I could, if I could get ahead of the curve, I could keep, kind of stay on top. Mm -hmm. And so when things tightened up, I immediately began doing a little more short sales. And then short sales dried up, I immediately started dealing with paper and buying paper from banks and repurposing the paper, doing workouts, reselling paper, or taking the asset back and reselling it. After that, that was kind of going away. Then I moved into development and we started doing, you know, self-storage facilities and some retail and some office and land was starting to pick up again, right? Yeah. And so, um, and that's and that's kind of just been on this hockey stick and the market's super strong right now. And so that that's what took me in that direction. Well, along the way, I was also getting new investors for my projects because I was starting to do much larger projects. I needed more money. And my investor profile was changing very quickly because it's awesome when you got, you know, bro bros, they'll just like send you a wire or write you a check without doing any due diligence and this and that. But as you get into more sophisticated, longer term deals, there's, they're a lot harder to navigate. And so working with sophisticated accredited investors is just a lot smoother and a lot easier than what we call dumb money. Yeah, yeah so they're, they're basically doing that work that really diving into the details yeah. of it. I, I've, I've noticed that the more I surround myself with people that are doing that type of the stuff that I don't want to do, I'm not good at it. I can't dive into those details. But when I really get with somebody that has or that does, it is phenomenal how well they understand it and how much difference it makes, how easy it becomes to make a decision of, yes, I should do it, or no, this doesn't make Absolutely. sense. You know, it's all become non-emotional. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a lot of those guys bring value to the project, right? And so what we did, we kind of started firing some of our old investors and woodpeckers and guys that didn't have patience in deals that needed to put out fires, this and that, and was creating like almost double the work. Because if we had to re-raise money to replace it, like halfway through the project, that was a pain in the ass. And so um, we started firing some of those guys. We started working with a little bit more sophisticated investors, and which was much better, better lifestyle, easier. They had deeper pockets and wanted to do more deals. Mm -hmm. And so that worked out great. But along the way, I became really good friends with a lot of these guys. And still to this day, the majority of the guys that invest with me are really close friends, including guys like you. Yeah, for sure. And so um, well, I've had a chance to meet a lot of these guys, and they're all phenomenal people. Like, you feel lucky to be in their presence. You know, I know even this last year, the biggest real estate deal I ever did you referred me the client as a five million dollar house in Draper, and we sold it in a couple of days. Yeah, but it was I met that, I met that guy only because of our relationship and our friendship that we already had. Which is funny because we used to compete. I used to like almost on some level dislike you because you were one of the only <laughs> other ones that could actually beat me. Um, but I always kept it professional and kept a friendship there. And fast forward seven eight years, you're doing other things. You send me a deal that creates a six figure income on one commission check. Yeah, yeah. one deal. And has followed with more. Yeah, and several other since then. Yeah, you yeah. kicked ass at it, which gives me confidence in you. And yeah. you know, that's that's one thing people talk about trust, and I always say trust is two things: trust is integrity, but trust is also maybe more important competence. Mm. And that's something that, like, you know, as a as a at least a compliment to you, like I totally trust your competence. Well, I, I trust your integrity. Well, too. no, and I've actually <laughs> said that. I was like, what when people ask, like, what does it take to be a great real estate agent? You know, I say it's. They have to trust that you won't screw them, that you know that you're like an honest person, and they have to trust you know what you're doing. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, those are the two things. Yeah. 
Well, so you're dealing with these high-end... So I'm dealing with these high-end investors and I'm creating friendships and bonds and what happens is I start realizing that like, the opportunity in real estate isn't what it used to be and because I'm a little bit spoiled in terms of basis and I don't want to do all the crazy heavy lifting and relearn some of these things that I don't have core competency in in terms of creating value in real estate projects today, I started realizing that a lot of the guys that were investing with me were killing it in their core competency, which is businesses outside of real estate. Mm -hmm. And so um, at this point, we've made some money, and um, I want to put some of my money to work. And so I just start asking, these are guys that have done business with me now for years, we've done hundreds of transactions, and I trust them, I like them, I, like, I enjoy working with them, and so I start asking if I can kind of invest in their companies. And, you know, and I always joke like, dude, I've made you millions of dollars. Or can you make me some money? You know, and yeah. so that's where that's where it came. That's kind of what where the intersection was to start investing in companies outside of real estate. And so that kind of snowballed into, hey, we we did a couple of deals that went fantastic. Um, we've done some deals that we've absolutely got our teeth kicked in. Well, talk about that for a sec, because I think <laughs> you, uh, you know, I, I know that you not as much in the last year, but you um, you enjoy social media, and you were posting a lot. I mean, you bought. A four hundred thousand dollar car, uh, one of the fastest cars in the world. You bought, you know, your own private jet that you're now part owner of, or whatever else. And and you kind of start having this lifestyle. You're going to all these beautiful places all over the world. And I would get asked all the time, you know, and I was like, "Is this Aaron Wagner guy legit?" Like I literally got asked that all the time by people. And I'm like, "Yeah, he is. Like, here's what he's doing." You should have answered like, "Well, this year he's legit. He might be broke next year." But. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? He had a hell of a 2016 17. You know, no. But and so it's funny though. But and I think. Um, as people see that or whatever else, uh, it's just kind of funny to me because that's I've kind of been able to watch the whole time of these different success stories along the way. But for people that are watching from the outside in, right? Like, I mean, how did you get the the information you got into these different businesses and things like this that you did? What were some of the struggles? What were some of those? struggles you had or business that didn't work. I think that's what people want to hear because how did you yeah. deal with some of those? Yeah. Give us like an example of your biggest well, one I'll, that didn't I'll work talk out. about a couple of those things, but first, let's just address social media. First off, social media for me is a highlight reel and I think everybody should understand that almost every successful person or somebody that appears to be successful in social media, they're just posting their highlights. Yeah. As they it, should be. It, yeah, you know? I mean, it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by them just playing. I don't post videos or photos of me just grinding 10 hours in the office, not talking to anybody, doing paperwork and shitty stuff. Right. That's boring. Nobody wants. And you surely don't want to hear about all the hardship in my life because that's like depressing. Yep. So for me, um, I always look at social media because I view others to post like that as inspiring, inspirational. I like to give that to the people that take that. Now, there's always going to be people that turn that on their head and say, what a douche. He's bloating. You're boasting. You're whatever. That's, and that's fine. That's okay. But I'm the same way. as like with my social media, I'm like, look, this is my highlight reel. These are my successes. Mm -hmm. um, if I have some kind of challenge I need help with, I might put it out here too. But if you don't like it, that's okay. I'm trying to yeah. inspire people to show them like, hey, I worked my ass off and this is my reward. And the people you'll attract to that, Jimmy, are the people that will come to you and say, you're inspiring me, man. Like, it's awesome. Right. I see your stuff, the life. It makes me excited. Those are the kind of people you actually want. That's right. And if it pisses you off. And the people that are talking shit and whatever. It's, yeah. And, and really, like, I've, I've, I've given a lot of thought about this stuff. And I think to myself, those are people that I don't really want to be around anyway. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. So I, I'm attracting who I want to attract. And I'm disposing of the ones that I want to dispose Perfect. of. Perfect. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. And, and to be honest, it's fun for me. Like, it's yeah. just a, it's a good time. 
and it reflects a little bit of my life, and I think it's kind of like a journaling in a sense. Like, I don't keep a journal, but, you know, I'm a former pro football player. We Our average life expectancy is, like, 55, so, like, me and my kids will have something to look back and be like, hey, my dad was fun. He was cool. Yeah, that's great. Hopefully. No, it's a great, it's a great way to look at it, and it's correct. So in terms of uh, some of the other things, like, you're talking about the lessons and the hardships, um, you know, one thing about entrepreneurs, and you can probably identify with this, is that entrepreneurs, we all... Um, kind of think we're bulletproof, uh, in a sense, especially if you've had any successes. Mm -hmm. One thing I've learned about myself and about many others that I've surrounded myself with that are entrepreneurs is they have success in one place, and they kind of feel like it's just automatic everywhere else. And so one of the, the hard lessons I've had to learn the hard way is that in shifting industries or in shifting projects, um, it's not automatic, and it's not, hey, you, you kicked ass here, it's not just gonna happen here. Like, sure, do I have the ability to be successful in the next venture? Absolutely, but it's not gonna be handed to me. I gotta dive back in and grind just like I did in the last one. And that was kind of like a little bit of a, like a wake up call for me, because it's like, you get a little bit cocky just thinking like, hey man, I'm a successful guy and everything yeah. I touch turns to gold. Do you have an example specifically of a time where maybe you got that lesson the hard way? I mean, I, yeah, multiple times. I will say like even right now, mm -hmm. I'm in it. I'm in the midst of it. I'm and what, it, what is that? What's so so um, my newest venture is called Mayberry's Fashion. Mayberry's Fashion. It's a women's clothing company, right? Mm -hmm. So of all the businesses to, to dive into, women's clothing, I have no background in, no knowledge. Um, I really had no competency in it when I started nine months ago. Um, so I really had to learn quickly and I came in and I made some decisions that were great and I made some really poor decisions that cost me money and, um, but I'm learning and I'm soaking up and I think that's what an entrepreneur does in every business. Were you just bored or what, what made you start this business you knew nothing about? So for me, I think what it, what it was, it was, it was a couple things. Is it always buying your wife terrible gifts and you figured you better learn a little about the industry? Or so, no, no, no. So, the, so essentially it, was, it came down to two things. The first was that um, I've, I started meeting when I got into private equity mm -hmm. and I started investing in these multiple companies. You know, we'd buy a business here, we'd buy a media company, we'd buy a pharmaceutical company or invest in a tech company or invest in restaurants. And we did all these things and I was learning and I was realizing that like, Many of the tech companies and some of the things that I was looking at, they were doing like no revenue or very little revenue. And I was investing at like 10 and $20 million valuations in these companies. And I was kind of a little bit of a wake-up call because I was like, holy shit, dude, these guys don't make any money. They're losing money. But and their company's worth like 20 million bucks yeah. or 50 million bucks or 100 million or a couple hundred million, you know? I mean, we, we invested in a company a year and a half, two year, a couple of years ago that was like $350 million valuation. And their take-home EBITDA profit was less than my companies did the year before. Wow. And guess how much I could sell my company for? Zero. Nothing. Yeah, you were that company. Zilch. So that was a little bit of a wake-up call because I'm like, these guys are way smarter than I am. They're building something mm -hmm. that has real value without them. And for me, every time I sell a deal, I'm out of a job. I gotta go hustle again. If I go on vacation, it stops. If I get disabled, if I wanna take a month or a year off to travel with my family, nothing happens. You know, I mean, I have a great business partner. He's fantastic, so I don't 
I don't mean to downplay that. Yeah, but there's no, you are the business. I mean, if you guys aren't here working, it's the same thing in real estate, right? Like the Rex real estate team, like we're one of the top companies in the whole state as far as sales goes, but I couldn't sell this to anybody. Like there'd be a, are you going to be a part of it? If not, so that was, so that was realization one was that was like, man, I'm not building anything, Mm. you know, am I making money? Great. Yeah. Am I having a fun time? Yes. But I'm not building anything. So if I ever want to just purely pursue my passions, I don't really have the ability to do that unless I just make a glob of money and say, that's all I'm doing. I'm just going to live off this, which doesn't fit my profile very well. The second realization was this, was I looked back and I said, okay, we've done well. We've made a bunch of money. We've made our investors a lot of money. And they're super happy. They're grateful. They're good guys. But of the maybe 50 or 100 guys we've worked with and made money for, <clears throat> how many of those people have I changed their life? Like, how many have I completely impacted just their financial sure. being? Mm. And the answer was, again, zero. Like, literally, goose egg. So, I can't sell my company for anything. Zero. I really haven't impacted anyone to a point where I've changed their life drastically. Yeah, I've changed a little bit, you know, made them money. But most of the people I'm making money for are Already rich, kind of money, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so, at the end of the day, the fulfillment part of it was not where I wanted it to be. And it was a wake-up call because um, my sister started the company that I bought, Mayberry's Fashion. And they started in Canada, and my youngest sister, the baby of the family, she was like 22 years old at the time. She had one or two kids, her husband's in school, and she has a little home party in her basement selling leggings, clothing. She makes like a couple grand or something. She's like, oh, this is awesome. She goes up to Canada, follows her husband for school, and in her first year, she knocks down like $1.6 million in revenue or something like that. That's like, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And you know, single, young girl, just kicking ass. So when she started growing the company, and she had me like look into it, and I got intrigued, I started looking in, and what I realized was these girls... She built this, this, this rep program, essentially, of wholesalers that, that were throughout the country ordering from her wholesale and having parties and pop-up shops and selling. It wasn't MLM or anything like that, but they were just ecstatic to be able to be a part of this Mayberry's team. Yeah, they all kind of had their own little mini-franchise. Yeah. And, and this is where it hit me was, you know, these girls were sending emails in to the company saying, like, you're changing my life. And we're talking about, like, two, three hundred bucks a month. Right mm. is what the company's mm-hmm. making for them or helping helping them make. They're they're the ones making it, but it's changing their entire life. Like these girls are like heartfelt. Like one of the girls wrote in and said, "I'm really concerned about being able to start with a five hundred dollars, which is the top level to buy in at the time, uh, to get your inventory, because I don't have the money. I'm going to put on a credit card, and I'm concerned I won't be able to pay it before it's due." But I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a leap of faith because I want to change my life. That was the first email. Like literally a week later, it was like she placed an order for another 500, which means she sold that 500, made 500, bought another, and then the next order was 750 and 1,000, 50. And she was She's buying on. like $3,000 a month. Yeah. And like four months into it, I get this beautiful heartfelt email that's like, I just want to tell you guys. And I don't, and at this point, there's really no. You know, my sister's face to the company, but there's really nobody that communicates with these people. It's all just kind of email and, and software. So she's kind of saying, like, hey, I don't even know who to thank, but 
but I want to tell you guys how much you've impacted and changed my life. And she says, you know, I was in this super abusive relationship, and I felt like I was completely held down, and I had no way out. And I depended on him because I have a child, and I didn't know what to do. And when Mayberries came, it gave me the ability to leave him and to flourish, and I'm so happy, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I was like, holy shit. Like, literally, I was by myself reading this, just sobbing. Yeah. And I was like, dude, in the last 10 years, I have made people millions and millions of dollars. And not once have I heard of an impact like that. Where this girl, like, I mean, you know, it's probably only a few hundred bucks. And it changed her whole world. Well, that's so awesome. It's one of those questions I think people ask when they're on their deathbed is, did I make an impact? Right? Did I actually make a change in, in the world, in people's lives? And so I get that. So that actually makes a lot more sense because I honestly, I saw that you were doing women's clubbing and I was like, Everybody asks. Well, it's like, what the, the hell, hell are you doing? doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you're bored or what? Yeah. But it, honestly, like, I did that and that was a major motivator because now I had to reflect and say, what's important? Like, do I want to impact people? Do I want to change? Do I want to help? Do I want to give back? Do I want to pay it forward? And on top of that, it's a family business, right? Sure. And so, the other part is, is like, hey, I've worked with a ton of people and I've never worked with my family. I've never been able to better or give anything or help advance my family. And well, so do you now, think yeah. part of this comes from, you mentioned you came from a pretty humble background. Give us a little bit of detail. Do you think maybe this kind of change or this feeling came from a little bit of that background? Yeah, you know, I grew up in Canada um, and um, my, my folks, five kids in our family and, you know, we've had some good times growing up, but my folks divorced when I was 15 years old and... Um, they, my parents went bankrupt. They lost their family business. My dad was kind of a serial entrepreneur as well, still is. Great ideas guy, um, less good on the execution. But um, most entrepreneurs. Yeah, right. So um, he, you know, he lost the business, lost his marriage. Our family busted up, and essentially, I was out on my own at 15 years old. You know, my dad was took a job in Calgary, so we never saw him. It was me and my little brother, and um, you know, I was working at nights after football or basketball practice. I got a job with the stockbroker's office and I got to do file all the stacks of paper in the office. So I would finish football or basketball or track or baseball at seven or eight at night. I'd go straight to the office, I'd work till midnight, you know, and then I'd wake up and go to school the next day. This is my high school career. And but I learned a ton, you know. I was I'm I mean, I'm a nosy bugger, so it's like I was looking at these files like, dude, these people make this kind of money, they're not doing anything, like this is amazing. Kind of changed my mindset, right? So that kind of uh, put me in a position where I knew, like, I, I wanted more. I wanted to do more. Um, I knew kind of my only ticket out was because I had no money. My family had no money. I had to get my school paid for and get out of, get to the USA somehow. And my best chance was through athletic scholarship. So I was the first one that ever earned a, a full-ride football scholarship to a Pac-10 school um, out of Canada. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and it was pretty cool because... Um, I really didn't know anything about college football. I took my recruiting trips and just kind of chose on who I thought the coaches were cooler and you know who was nicer to me and who hosted me and whatever. But I ended up signing with Washington State and played two years there and then transferred to BYU. And, and what caused you to transfer to BYU? Um, after my mission, I just decided that uh, my lifestyle, I wanted to be different. I had different priorities. You know? Yeah, I mean, when I, <clears throat> when I was... Uh, when my parents divorced, essentially, you know, I didn't have a lot of direction. I just wanted to party and... Wazoo was a great party school. And sure. Had a fun. Yeah, when I was at ASU, the head of a frat from Washington State was in my class and my group, and he was a fun guy. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a good time. And I have great relationships still to this day there, and I, I love that school as well. And, 
but yeah, so coming through that and just kind of being my own and having to learn and be independent really quickly, I think just forced me to mature quickly and, um, and, and to be honest, I really appreciate the fact that it kind of built a little bit of toughness in the fact that I just wasn't really afraid of failing. Cause it's like when you've been at the bottom and you're happy then, cause I was, I was happy then just as happy as I am now. For sure. Yeah. It's like, what's there to lose? Like, what, you know, who cares? And so that, that I think forged kind of my character and my mentality toward business and risk and all That's that kind of stuff. Well, and another thing I wanted to bring up, I know this about you. And so I want to kind of touch on it real quick, but you were the first guy I ever known that was onto the Bitcoin craze. <laughs> and so, I mean, we're talking, tell real quick, just tell like, sure. cause it's something that's kind of a hot topic right now. But I mean, when did you start buying Bitcoin and, and how did you even get into it? How did you have, cause you bought a lot of Bitcoins at a very young age and so, or when it was first coming out. So yeah. tell, tell that story a little bit. So yeah, it's kind of funny cause like in the last four months, I'm literally getting like texts every day from people I haven't talked to in a while cause they knew I was kind of promoting and talking about Bitcoin in 2011 yeah. when I yeah. bought it. And um, I bought my first Bitcoin purchase um, at $7.80 a coin. I'm yet to meet, I only know one other person that bought before me, uh, and he's the guy that told me about it. And so <clears throat> I don't tell this story that much to people because it sounds really cool that I was like way smart and knew about this in 2011. The truth of it again is actually that I didn't know anything about it in 2011. I actually have a cousin. Um, that started a software company here in Utah okay. and sold it for tens of millions of dollars. And uh, he's brilliant. He's kind of a savant in, in, a, in a sense. Um, and he was really big into Bitcoin and he did really well on it. He was buying it like in the dollar range. So was he the one that got yeah. you into so it? So I heard that he had done some really cool stuff with this cryptocurrency, which honestly was going way over my head. Yeah. Even when he explained it, it was like, yeah, you can mine them on these computers, but they're not real. They're like digital, and they, did, you know, it's just an algorithm. And there's just a, like all this stuff was kind of like, uh, but I was like, dude, Mike's super smart. So I'm like, hey, buy me some. So I gave him a amount of money, and it turned out to be very significant over time. <laughs> but uh, so at did the you time, sell a lot of it along the way, or do you still own them all? Like, I still own a significant amount, but um, I definitely sold more than I would. Had you known, right? Well, and so I guess with everyone with Bitcoin, it's like everyone has this like fear of missing out now and all these different things. Like, what? So you didn't you didn't have any special knowledge? You weren't because you you were posting on Facebook like about Bitcoins. I mean, for yeah, I mean, two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. I remember having Facebook posts like, "Hey, when I was flipping homes, like, hey, I'll flip my home. You can buy it in Bitcoin." You know, and at the time, I wish somebody put a bottom in it. Would be a nice right? Would have been awesome, right? But um, yeah, I mean, I just really believed in it because I saw what was happening to it. And obviously, once you're in, it's like the the people that are hating, they're the guys on the sidelines. Yeah. Well, I bought a, I I invested. I mean, it, it's not a huge amount, but I own a couple of bitcoins now and some different things. I just wanted to buy enough that I could cheer for it. I, I didn't want to hate it, you yeah. know. And so I was like, I'm buying enough. And once you become a cheerleader. Then you well, start learning a little bit. Yeah, too, well, you're a little I've been reading article after article. It's just fun now, you know. I mean, my money's like tripled since I put it in, and it's yeah. it's just kind of fun to be a part of it, you know. It's, Absolutely. But well, so you're always got so many things going on at once. Um, you've just started this new venture a couple months ago. You also still have the other stuff going on. If you could clone yourself, and you know, you could invest quite a bit of money into something. What would be a passion business that you would probably, or what's something that you've always kind of thought like, I would love to do this side business. 
but you can't do just because of time and money right now. But what's something you would do? So the story I'm telling myself of what I can't do, sure, which I know is bullshit because it's just priority and that kind of thing. But uh, one thing to keep in mind is that, yeah, I'm busy with business and stuff, but I also have six kids, 10 and under. So I've been married for almost 13 years. I have six children, 10 and under. And that is a significant amount of time if you want to be a good dad. And yeah. I really do. It's a major priority. Well, and I follow you on, you know, you, you are always doing things with him. I think daily I see, you know, you're always doing things with your kids, spending that time. So, so, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Jim. It, there's, it makes it really hard to sacrifice that and prioritize anything over that. So what I'm left with is I have to make a living out of the time that I'm left with and pursue some passions and hobbies and do some fun stuff too, right? So uh, to answer your question, kind of what you're doing right now is actually my passion. Like meeting with people, like, you know, I've always, I've always told my wife for the last 10 years, I've always said, honey, when I'm absolutely in the place that I want to be and all I do is what I want to do, I want to mentor, I want to teach, I want to like um, be a public speaker, I want to, and not, not because of any reasons that I think I'm good at it, it's just what I really enjoy, like the times that I get to do it, because people have asked me to, it's when I feel the most fulfilled, it's just like helping others, and this podcast, to me, this has kind of been a thing that I've wanted to do for years, because I feel like, man, you get to spend time and shoot the shit with like, well, yeah, I mean, cool I, I spend all my time with like these, you know, when I'm doing it with the most successful guys I know. Yeah. But then also, it gives me a platform to share that relationship with thousands of other people, or whoever wants to listen to it. You know, like my nieces and nephews can pick, my kids can pick this up in 20 years and be like, "Wow, these are some great business principles that this Aaron guy and my, you know, dad Jimmy or whatever was learning." It. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of a cool way to kind of build something that that lasts. That's something that'll be here beyond myself, I guess. Yeah. And, that, and so that's a that's a big one for me, and I, I need to quit. Uh, well, I can give you, down I can give you plenty of hints of what not to do when you get started, but then also there's a few things I've picked up along the way. So. No, you're doing awesome, man. I, I'm loving it. I've been listening. And I've just been eating it up. You're doing a fantastic. Well, appreciate job. it, man. One of the things that I really admire about you, Jimmy, is that like I see it all the time with people, and especially easy to do for busy, successful people is to just put stuff off or procrastinate, or there's a season or a time for this. And dude, you, you just live a life of like, why not, you know? And I love it because that to me is like, we don't have any guarantees, you know? There's no guarantee even for tomorrow. And it's like, you know, hey, I'm going to do a podcast and you do a podcast. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but you'll get good at it. And it's the same thing with everything you do. I mean, you're, yeah, me and you have talked about this a lot before, but like really, I boiled my life down to essentially if it doesn't fit in these categories it really doesn't matter and that's relationships experiences and memories yep and so for me that's kind of like where i'm at it's like my relationships with my family with my friends with the people that i care about my business associates co-workers employees and outside of that it's just what kind of experiences can i experience in this life well, yeah, I mean, I never wanted to have a life where it took me till my 40s or 50s to experience things, you know, I'm too curious, I wanted to know, and so I, for me, it's just a, it's a fun, great way to live, is the relationships are everything, that's the whole purpose of being here on earth, in my opinion, is that love that we share, and then how we go about living our lives, it's like, I don't know what comes after this, I have some ideas, but if I'm wrong, at least I live this life, I know this is the only life like this, yeah. So I'm, you know, go after it. But. Yeah, I mean, who wants? Well, I mean, who wants to? Who wants to put off the pleasures? And I don't mean that in a, in a negative connotation. The pleasures that come from this life, 
in hopes or promises and rewards of the next that we that just who knows. Yeah, I say this. I think some people even like they use that as a crutch. Like I'm going to get my reward after this, and it's like you might, and I might, and we all might. Who knows, right? Yeah. But it's kind of an don't use it as an excuse to play down in this life. Yeah. And hopefully that's one of the things that people, I'm glad that you caught that from watching me because that's one of the things I try to share with everybody is, you know, I taught a class at UVU last semester just for fun in the business school and every day before class started, I know they all listen to the podcast so they'll appreciate this, but I would make them tell me something awesome they did since the last class and if they couldn't, we'd sit there until someone came up with something and they started getting the hint like, we better do something, (laughs) otherwise Jimmy's going to get, you know, Professor Rice's. But that's that's to me what living is and so... That's awesome. Anyway. That's well, dude, I appreciate you, man. Speaking of living, um, look forward to the next adventure we go on. We've had some awesome ones. We've taken private planes to jazz playoff games. We got our little crew last year to a couple of Clippers games and um, just always doing awesome things. So we'll, we'll think of something fun and share it with everybody. Yeah, it's a good time. Thanks for having me. And this has been awesome, man. Appreciate All right. It. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you. That's our show for today, but one more thing before you hit pause and head off to Making an Extraordinary Life. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via iTunes and leave a review. As always, you can find this episode, the show notes, and much, much more at thejimmyrexshow.com or on our Jimmy Rex Show YouTube page as well. Feel free to share this on your social media and with other people that you know want to live an extraordinary life. Until next time, take care.